Merry Christmas. Before we jump into today's interview with Anna, I just want to remind you of the master class coming up in January called What Really Happens After We Die. NDE expert and author Jeff Jansen will lead the discussion, and he's offering the class to Round Trip Death listeners for half price. You'll love it, and it's a great gift idea. Click on the link in today's show notes for many more details. From the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes, and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to Round Trip Death, everybody, and welcome to Anna Stromquist from out in Atlanta, right, Anna? Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. I hope I said that right. Atlanta, Anna. Anyway, didn't mean to tongue twist myself. No, it's Anna, Anna in Atlanta. It is. Anna in Atlanta. Hey, before we get going, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, My name is Anna Stromquist. I live in Atlanta, Georgia with my family. I am a physical therapist. I do home visits. And my friend and I also have a podcast on the side. We do a spiritual podcast called This Spiritual Fix. And that's pretty much my life. Mother, healthcare worker, wife, podcaster, gardener, (laughs) gardener too. Oh, and a gardener. What kind of things do you like to garden? Um, I love to garden. I love to plant flowers like zinnias, dahlias, peonies. And then I also am doing a vegetable garden this year for the first time with success because we put, we, we made it deer proof. And so we've had a lot of fun picking tomatoes and berries and cucumbers and all that. Well, we here are up in the mountains of Utah And speaking of deer proof, we had to put a big eight foot fence all the way around our garden and orchard because they would just eat anything and everything. Isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's amazing. And and the baby deer, we have a lot of baby deer uh, fawns come in and they don't know what is or isn't like deer proof. So they eat everything until they learn. And so it was just a mess. They were eating everything up until this summer. So you know the story, how it goes with the deer. I do. And we love the deer. And so we, you know, we don't want to hurt them or anything. We just want to keep them away from certain things. But last winter, uh, we had tons of snow here, Anna, and I left the garage door open one day and they actually came inside the garage and found some things to eat in there, oh believe my it or goodness. not, that we had stored in there. That's how hungry the poor things were. Aww. So, yeah. Anyway, let's get to our topic. I'll quit rambling here. <laughs> uh, you had a near-death experience when you were a teenager, and we don't hear a lot of teenage stories. And so this is going to be kind of fun. If I remember right, you were 16 years old. Yes, on a family vacation, set the whole mood, set the stage. Where were you? What were you doing? What led up to what happened? So we were on family vacation in Hawaii, and I don't remember which island it was. I was on the swim team, so I was a strong swimmer. The only bodies of water I had swim in up to this point uh, with regularity would be 
you know, lakes or pools. So we were going for a walk along the beach and my family got really far ahead and we were all kind of spread out. You know, we knew we were going to meet back at the hotel or whatever at a certain time. And I passed a part of the water and there was no lifeguards on duty. And it said, warning, no lifeguard on duty. And it said something about the tide, but I didn't, I wasn't really familiar with it. I was from the desert and I thought, oh, no lifeguard on duty. That's no, no big deal. I know how to swim. So I get in the water and within a couple moments, I feel like I'm being like swooped under the water and carried down. And usually when you're underwater, you get a sense of where up and down is by the light. But it was turning me so quickly and there was so much sand occluding the, the surface of the water. I didn't know what was up, what was down. So I was suddenly very discombobulated. I didn't know you know, what was up, what was down, what was left, what was right. And I'm trying to get to the surface as quickly as possible. And I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. And I feel like the waves are as strong as, you know, ropes and cords on me. And I basically run out of juice and I'm, I can't struggle any further. And I suddenly get completely calm. My body goes limp and I feel this immense calm and quiet. And I hear a voice distinctly say like it it was like inside my head it wasn't like coming into my ears but it wasn't my voice and it said this is what it's like to die and I felt enveloped in this very space uh safe feeling and when the voice said this is what it's like to die without words it was it was kind of conveying to me like this is a natural thing this is okay this is this is this is okay like everything was okay and in that moment, I suddenly felt linked to everyone that had ever died before. It was as if it was as if we all have a surprise package, a gift, and and only some of us had opened it. So in that moment, I felt like I was seeing the gift that everyone before me who had died had opened, and that everyone on earth has yet to open, but will one day also open it. So it was this strange feeling of connection between everyone who had ever died. I felt connected to them in a in a an infinite beautiful deep way and then i also simultaneously felt connected knowing that i was seeing the thing that they were everyone on earth that's still alive was going to see i can't explain how connected and 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 what a sense of oneness and awe it was and i felt so calm and so peaceful and then suddenly i'm on the beach and I'm spitting up water. I don't remember even how I got to the beach, but I'm just like suddenly on the beach. I'm spitting up water. My lungs are burning. On, like they feel like they're on fire. I'm spitting out sand and salt water and kind of like dry heaving. So no, I wasn't resuscitated or anything. It just, I just, you know, so maybe it wasn't a true near-death experience. It was a near-drowning experience, but that happened. And I didn't talk about it for years because it was so intimate and so special and I, I didn't know how to put it into words and also it wasn't something that would come up like people don't talk about these things it, it wouldn't be like at a dinner table and I wanted to be like hey guys by the way and then have to disprove myself or explain myself and it wasn't until we were doing a podcast episode on near-death experiences that I was researching the commonalities like there's 11 11 things that people who have these all have in common, like one of the 11. And I distinctly had like, you know, the sense of peace and the sense of connection to mankind. 
knowing that I wasn't crazy, that this was a, an experience many people had, it gave me the strength to talk about it. We talk, I talked about it a little bit on my show as well. And then, as you know, the Daily Mail and other other uh, UK tabloids found it and and wrote up about it. But that that's the story. Okay. Wow, that in a nutshell. Good thing I have 100 questions for you. But first, I just wanted to tell you, uh, I'm sure you saw me kind of smiling, almost laughing. And that is was in no way no way at all making fun of what happened. I just can picture that so well because uh, I lived in Hawaii as a child and I have been that person tumbled and rolled and there's a thing we call an undertow that actually pulls you out towards the ocean and under the waves and then you just get slammed and you get rolled up. And usually, eventually, a big enough wave is going to come along that it's just going to spit you out on the beach. And that's what it did for you. That's exactly how it was. Yes. There is, I see some reels online from a thing called kook slams, and you'll see a whole bunch of those on there, just in case you ever want to see some people in the shore break, just getting wiped out kook slams with two K's. And by the way, that's not that's not mine. I'm not trying to promote it. It just would help people. I'll write it down. I'll check it out. Yeah, K-O-O-K-S-L-A-M-S. Anyway, let but let's go back and dig into this a little bit. Because people have near-death experiences sometimes, even if their heart doesn't stop. Some people are in a coma. Some people are so close to death as you were that they can have an experience like this. When we are on the freeway and somebody almost runs us off the road and we go, oh, wow, that was scary. That's not a near-death experience, although the news will often refer to it that way. So you had something that was very real. And I I want to understand that feeling of warmth that you had because one would think that you would be so overcome with fear instead. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I was overcome with fear until I heard the voice. And the moment the voice came, it's as if I was embraced, although there were no hands. It was like being hugged on a molecular level, you know, and, and it just was, it was this feeling of like, I'm safe. You know how, um, you know how, when you skin your knee as a kid, and your mom comes and kisses it and like suddenly it doesn't hurt anymore and it and it's all in your head <laughs> it was kind of that feeling of like you know being in the arms of someone something it wasn't a a person it was this thing energy it was it was that feeling of being completely safe and protected you remember it well enough to describe the voice or was it more of a feeling in your head it was a voice it was a woman's voice and it was, um, I mean, I, I remember the voice, yeah. <laughs> now that sentence, this is what it feels like to die, mm-hmm. that could be put a number of different ways. That could be put like, well, that's what it feels like to die, girl. You know, you st- you blew it. Or it could be done in a very kind, loving way. Explain how it came across to you. It was like I was being comforted. Like, like imagine your mom's kissing your skin knee and they're saying it's okay. It's just a skin knee. It was like, it was this, she didn't say it was okay, but it was like, it's okay. This is what it's like to die. This is okay. You know, but, but the only words she said were, this is what it's like to die. 
That makes sense to me. It wasn't a this is what it's like to die to scare you. It was like, it's okay to die. This is what it's like. Anything else on that voice? No, I don't know. I don't know who it was, if it was an angel or God or what. I don't know. Just a quick break here to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Smart Labels. With the new year, I'm sure many of you are like me with a resolution to get more organized. That's where Smart Labels comes in. With Smart Labels, you buy their QR code labels on Amazon, put a label on a storage bin, and then scan it with their app. Catalog everything that's going into the bin and let your future self know where everything is. When you need something next year, search for it in the app and it'll tell you exactly where it is. Seriously, people describe this as organizing magic. Click over to Amazon right now and get your smart labels. Now, back to the interview. I've had so many people tell me about the connection that they feel during their NDE and all different kinds of NDEs. And I still don't know that I totally understand it. Please try to explain to me the connection that you felt with others. It happened on a visceral level. It wasn't mental. So it's hard to to explain in words because it was more of a feeling. But I felt connected to every single one of them as if, you know, like an analogy would be as if I had a little piece of thread coming out all the pores on my skin And I realized that each thread was attached to another person. I mean, it wasn't like that, but that's kind of the feeling. It was like I was part of them. We were all part of the same thing. What do you take away from that? What does that mean? To me, it really helped me connect more with Buddhist religion later. Like I was raised Jewish. And the whole idea that we are all one, like the oneness that's conveyed in in Buddhism I could relate to that. Like that to me made more sense than what I was grown up with because that's exactly how I felt that I was part of, I was part of all of humanity. There was a oneness to it. And is that the very special gift that you related to? Yeah, I think so. It just felt like, um, you know, they say do unto your, your neighbor as you would do unto yourself. It it just kind of, that just all made more sense. Like we are all just part, we were all part of the same thing. And the last word that I remember that stuck out to me that you said was you felt warm. Yeah. How does that work? It was, um, like I said, it it wasn't a logical mental experience. It was a, a physical visceral experience. And I just felt like this warmth and embrace around me. The way, I, like, I, like I said, like the way a mother scoops up a kid with a, scoop, a skin knee, there's a warmth there, even if it's not temperature, <laughs> you know, there's a, a warmth, an energetic warmth. I hope I'm not sounding too crazy. <laughs> no, you're not. It sounds kind of like a description of love in a way. Yeah, it definitely felt loving. So have you ever, with one of your children, when they scrape their knee, have you ever picked them up and said... This is what it feels like to hurt yourself. I've said, this is what it's like to die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, no. I didn't go that far. <laughs> I've a morbid sense of humor, sorry. No, but when they have been in pain and I try to soothe their pain, I try as hard as I can to create like a safe, loving space. Because I, I just I just know how good that feels, you know, more than the words, like to create the space. 
That makes sense. Why do you think you didn't talk about this for such a long time? Because you could have told your family right that day. It it applied that day when they saw you all covered in sand. <laughs> um, well, I probably rinsed off right after. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think I had a lot of insecurities growing up about about my religious beliefs, my spiritual beliefs. I kind of say that I, I came out of the spiritual closet when I started doing the podcast because I just didn't feel comfortable with p- feeling like I would have to defend myself. And I'm not sure my parents would have, you know, made me defend myself, but I'm sure I would have been teased by my siblings or they would say I was making it up. You know how kids are. So it just it just didn't feel safe or comfortable to tell my immediate family. And at that age, that would have been the only people I would have told. Yeah, I think I was afraid to to be teased. You know, I think I was afraid to have to defend a story that wasn't there to be def- to to defend. You know, I wasn't trying to argue a point, and I knew that if I brought it up, I would be forced. I'd be in, interrogated, kind of, you know, and I just didn't feel like it was something I I wanted to have to defend. It was just something that I experienced. Well, besides, how could you defend it? You couldn't prove it, right? And then, you know, I I could just see my brother being like, you you know, you're just making this up for attention or whatever. I mean, I don't know what he would have said, but I'm sure it would have been you know something obnoxious that little brother say, and I didn't want to have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm that obnoxious little brother. Be careful. <laughs> If there's another 16-year-old girl out there listening to this who's had some kind of a um, near-death experience, out-of-body experience, something spiritual that's hard for her to understand, do you have any advice for her? Should she talk to somebody or should she just keep it to herself? I think that she'll know, you know, what's right for her. I think it's a new day and age. There's the internet. There's Reddit, you know, there's subreddits that are called glitches in the universe or true off my chest where people can anonymously post stories like very weird things that are happening. And and the people in those those groups believe them. There's not the need to defend and there's anonymity. So maybe I'd say take a baby step and anonymously share your story if you feel so. She could listen to our podcast and reach out to us. We've had so many people, so many listeners call, you know, email us or DM us and say, you know, that episode really reminded me of this story, you know, or or this or that. And, you know, if if they feel like they need to reach out to a professional, I would say to reach out to someone less traditional than a psychotherapist, but maybe a shaman or someone who is just super open-minded, like maybe a unity-based psychotherapist versus, um, you know, Christian or Jewish, just to be open to someone like that. I think that is just a different day and age. And, 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 and she would be able to find very easily that she's not alone in the way in what she happened to her. You know, whereas when I was alive, there was no, or not when I was alive, when I was 16, there was no internet or there was maybe, but it was like the AOL dial-up. I wouldn't have known how to find people who shared my story. You are not that old. I don't believe it. Oh, I am. <laughs> I think the talking about it can be very helpful. Yeah. People seem to need to talk about it. I often have people on this show that had an experience 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and didn't dare talk about it. And after we're done with the interview and... You know, we're not recording any longer. They're like, Eric, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I feel like there's this giant weight 
off my shoulders. And it's so nice to be able to talk about it and not be judged. So I think it can be a good thing. Yeah. And then I just, I just tell myself like the people who need to hear it will hear it. Like for whatever reason, I thought it was so random that it was, my story was published. And I just thought, well, you know what? Maybe it needs to be published. Maybe someone out there needs to read it and know that what happened to them is very normal or not normal. I should say it's happened to others. It's happened to a lot of others. The numbers are are really high. We don't know exactly what they are, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands, if not a few million people in this world that have had these experiences. Now, your podcast is called This Spiritual Fix. Did your experience as a teenager lead to some spiritual gifts or something? Tell me about what it's done for you, your life going forward. So I wouldn't say the the podcast is a direct result of that experience in Hawaii, but I would say that my culturally, yes, I love the Jewish religion and I love the food. I love the holidays and all that. But the way that I was taught to believe in God, I couldn't, after that experience, I just couldn't, I couldn't connect with it. So I slowly started to ask myself, like, if God is this loving union, safe thing, uh, and not the jealous, vengeful, biblical God that I was taught to believe, like, which religion has it right, you know, and I, and I, I studied a lot of different religions, I tried a lot of different meditation techniques, I went to India, I kind of, I did a lot of different things. And that's what the podcast is about. It's about what's the next fix, right? Like looking for the next fix. Because I I think that that experience was so outside the box of what I was taught that I was searching for answers. And that's what the podcast is really about, is about what kind of answers can you find in different places. Some people, when they have a near-death experience, it really changes them in a lot of ways. And they make some big changes in their lives, especially as adults. For someone that was just 16, do you feel like this changed you? Um, it absolutely changed me. I know that my grandmother died a few years later, and I didn't grieve her the same way I had grieved my mother who had died when I was 11. And it wasn't just her age. I just, my relationship with grief changed so much when people died that I could, I would mourn the loss of them. And I would mourn the family. I would, I would feel bad for those of us kind of left behind, but I no longer had this sense of grief for the person itself. Like I just felt like they were going to a better place. Like I really feel like it, not just like the thing you see in Hallmark cards. Oh, they're in a better place now. Like I really felt in my heart, they're in a good place. Like they're in a better place and it's okay to die. So it didn't have the same effect on me. And then I also think it it lessened my fear of death. Like, of course I have the survival instinct. If you threw me in the ocean, I'm going to struggle to get out and I'm going to, you know, try to feed myself and not starve to death in any situation or whatever. But like beyond that biological desire to stay alive, I don't actually fear death. Like it's not something that keeps me, has ever kept me up at night since then, like worrying about my death or what's death like. I just, I don't have anxiety about, about dying anymore. Well, there's a question I ask a lot of people now. I don't need to because you answered it for me already. Thank you. Oh, about fear of death? You're jumping way <laughs> ahead here. Yeah, no, it's not something I, I used to worry about that a lot as a child. I was an anxious child and 
I don't think I've thought about it once since then. So could you carry that over to some advice for people that maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody is critically ill or something and, or somebody has just lost a loved one. How, how can they take what you're feeling and make it work for them? Well, I think if someone's critically ill or, you know, facing death, they're going to know soon enough. I really believe those last moments are going to be beautiful. Most people who come back from an NDE, that's what they say. So maybe take refuge in those numbers. <laughs> to anybody who is grieving a loved one, I don't know if I have any advice because I think we need to be true to our hearts and and grieve them, you know, because what I experienced, it was a feeling, it wasn't logic. So I don't know if I can give that to anybody, right, with words. But I do believe... I do believe we all go to a, a a better place. I just can't imagine feeling what I felt that day and there being anything bad out there, like beyond, beyond this life. That's beautiful. So you've interviewed people that have had NDEs also. Do you have any favorite stories or favorite things that people have told you that you want to recount? Well, we, we've only actually had one. We only did one NDE episode on our podcast. We interviewed a woman and and her story I loved because what happened was is her ex-boyfriend was violent and was choking her. And in her NDE, she went to a place where her angels told her, like, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna go, we're gonna, you're gonna go back in your body, you're gonna do X, Y, and Z, you're gonna grab your cars, your car keys, you're gonna run out of the house. And she was like a 90-pound woman. The man attacking her was 200 pounds. And sure enough, she suddenly was back in her body. She did everything they told her to do, and she got out of there. She Whatever it was, the hand grip, the you know moving his hands off her throat, whatever it was, and they were like, grab your keys and don't look back. Just run to your car. you know. And she did exactly as they said, and she ended up surviving. So I, I love that story because that's not a, an NDE you often hear about is like a step-by-step how to get out of a killing situation. Wow. I'm trying to remember if I've talked to anybody that survived a murder kind of situation. That's very unusual. Yeah. Her name is Honest, uh, Joyce Anastasia. And when she came back, she w- says that she was actually given uh, clairvoyance. So she's she's left her full-time job and became a psychic because she can. Um, she says she can see things now that she couldn't. That's one of the changes some people have. Yeah. Yeah. Or gifts or whatever, whatever we want to call that. Okay. Before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? We'd love to leave with some kind of a great message of hope. I guess my message would be when you're in nature, when you're around nature, when you're gardening, when you're in the forest, when you're in the ocean, try your best to feel how you feel in your body and not so much what you're thinking. I believe that the way we feel in nature tells us more about reality than the thoughts in our head. Okay, love it. Thanks a lot for being with us. Anna Stromquist. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. And from Will and I at Round Trip Death, we thank you so much for listening and wish you a very Merry Christmas. We look forward to connecting again after the first of the year as we kick off Season 3 with an interview unlike anything you have heard before. 
Lastly, if you enjoy this podcast and want to help support the show, please click over to roundtripdeath.com. You'll see a little donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the page. We so appreciate your generosity that helps us keep the best near-death experiences coming your way every week. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Next.